I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Uh, we have started, I've started going through the book of Romans. And I felt led this morning to, uh, to continue on with that. Romans chapter 1. And, uh, and I want to read just a few verses, begin in, beginning in verse 14. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, and thank you for turning, by the way, and the Bible says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me is... I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And, uh, and I want to speak to you about what was in Paul. What was in Paul. As we looked last time, that we were in this book, we looked at Paul's credentials, if you will, his characterization of himself, and, and then about his calling that he's had, and then his commissioning that he had received from the Lord Jesus, and then the communion that he wanted to have with those saints that were in Rome, because he hadn't been able to get there yet, and he was longing to see them, wanting to be with them, and so... Here we find in those, in those opening verses, those first 11 verses, they tell us about Paul. But in the verses that we just read, they tell us what was in Paul. And there is a difference in those things, and that's what I want to see this morning. So what was it that was in Paul, if you will, that we need to examine this morning? We know that he was a servant, we know that he was a sent one, and we know that he was separated under the gospel that God had set some boundaries on him, some limitations and a dispensation of the gospel was given to him to preach. And that's what his message was going to be. And so we want to see now what was in Paul. And so let me give you the first thing. I want you to see it there with me in verse 14. Number one, there was an indebtedness. Have, listen, have you ever been in debt? Uh, if you haven't, I want you to sign my Bible, all right? Uh, probably more, America knows more about being in debt than it does about being, if you will, in the black. And, uh, and so indebtedness, and so by, by definition, notice what he said. Look at verse 14. I am debtor Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Now, he wasn't in financial straits and financial debt to them. But he owed them something nonetheless. The word debtor simply means one who owes another either money, goods, or services to be a debtor. It also can mean someone who is an, under an obligation to do something. And Paul understood what his mission and commission was. He saw himself, remember, he saw himself as a nobody telling everybody about somebody who will save anybody. And that was what he felt like his job was. And he was a servant. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. He said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Now listen, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Listen, when you know, remember what the Lord Jesus said, If any man seem to be chief among you, let him be your servant. Let him be your servant. 
Paul practiced servant leadership. It's what God has called every pastor to be is servant leadership. Every under shepherd has been called to servant leadership. And Paul understood that and sets a great example for us as we examine his life. And so Paul qualified as a debtor in both situations. There was there was goods and services, and there was an obligation to do something. And one of the things that he was under obligation for was because he owed his very life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about it, this was the foundation of his duty. He knew that he had been saved by the grace of God. He knew that his sins had been forgiven. He knew that his name was written in the Lamb's book of life. He knew that they were gone and he understood that wouldn't have happened without the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was in debt to him and he understood that. That was the foundation of his duty and the force and motive of that duty was divine that he had received. As an apostle, he had this duty at the same time it, it, exposed him, it, it exposed him to many dangers. And we know if you read 2 Corinthians 11, man, thrice he was beaten with rods, a day and a night in the deep, and he was in, you know, in perils often, in perils from brethren, in perils of Jews. I mean, in perils and in difficult and dangerous situations, really, every day of his life. I mean, remember when he got saved? Man, he was struck with blindness for three days. I mean, he had a problem right away. And yet, you know, the Lord said he was going to have to learn that there were going to be great things that he was going to suffer. And so Paul felt, Paul felt an obligation. When you think about it, I mean, what was he under obligation for? Notice what it says in verse 15. He said, so as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Something as valuable as he had been exposed to in the... In the, in the form of the gospel, he knew that that couldn't be held within. It should be explained. It should be preached to the cultured, to the crude, and even the educated. Even those in Rome needed to hear. The wise and the unlike, or the wise and the unwise alike, needed the truth of the gospel. They needed it. I mean, you think about it. Who were the, who were the main people of the day? Do you remember who the Stoics were? They were people that felt like, man, there shouldn't be any emotion. Life is not about pleasure. They were very, they were very stiff, if you will. They were, they were without emotion, without expression. And uh, then there was the Epicureans and there was the Hedonists. There were all kinds of philosophies that were out there. Do you remember when, when Paul passed through the city of, of Athens? He was moved. And what happened? There were a lot of people that gathered because... Rome had those crossroads. They had all those roads and so forth. I know that Athens is in Greece, but at a time that was a part of the Roman Empire. They had conquered all those places. And so what would men do? They would sit in these, uh, along these lines of communication where those Roman roads were, and they would interview. They, they would ask questions of the strangers that were coming from the far regions of the empire. Remember when they even got Paul out there? What did Paul say to him? He said, man, he said, I think y'all are way too superstitious. He said, you've got gods for everything. You've even got a, you even have a statue to the unknown God. I mean, those folks, they were worried. Maybe they had left somebody out and they didn't want that God to be upset with them. And so he says, man, God doesn't live in a building made with hands. And he was talking about all these things. And they were interested in him until he mentioned something about the resurrection. 
And that was beyond their comprehension. But they needed to know. The Greek philosophers, they were idolaters. And they were speculators about all the things that they had learned about from the far reaches of the empire. Amongst different cultures, amongst different peoples. Even their clothing and the things. The barbarians, who were they? They were the ignorant of the day. They were the ignorant of the day. And they had not heard. And even those who know the truth, beloved, we are debtors to all of mankind. Do you remember those? Do you remember the four lepers in the book of 2 Kings? Man, the Assyrians had been out there and they were kind of starving them out. They had laid siege against them. And they said, you know, we've got this leprosy and we're going to die. I said, you know, we're going to die just sitting here. We ought to be, and I'm paraphrasing here, of course, in 2 Kings chapter 7. And basically said, you know, we, need, we just need to go do something rather than just sit here and die. So they decided to get outside the walls of Jerusalem. What they do, man, they escaped and evaded. They eat and eat. And they got over there and they found the Assyrians were gone. They found that they had, they had fled in the night. And man, they left food and they left all kinds of... They left everything right there. And man, suddenly these guys... You know, do you remember there was a time when they were living on a, a cab of, of dove's dung and they were eating the head of... I mean, it was... When you laid siege to a country, that meant nothing went in and nothing came out. And they would have had limited resources. So these people were having to eat and endure things unimaginable. You read about them there in those Old Testament accounts. But those four men got out there and man, they found all this food and they found these things in the tents and man, they're just scarping it down as you imagine hungry men might be. And they were sitting there and you know what they said? We do not, we do not well. Today is a day of good tidings. What did they realize? They realized, man, this wasn't just made for the four of us. Everybody back in Jerusalem, everybody back here needs to know about what happened. And so then they take and they bring that word. He said, we do not well. Beloved, we are debtors. We've been given a gift. You know, Paul said, thanks be unto God for his what? His unspeakable gift. Did you ever get something that just sort of left you speechless? That you were just amazed by it. My wife was always good at that when the kids were little. She would feed them with misinformation. Because she knew I liked to guess what was in the package or something. And so she set up Brian and, and Christy and gave them little bits of information about stuff that wasn't necessarily true about what was in the package. And of course, they had a hard time keeping their mouth shut. And I might probe, hey, did you see what mom was wrapping? Yeah, I think it's a sleeping bag, dad. And all this kind of stuff. Ah, I didn't want a sleeping bag. Man, I was wanting a downfield coat and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was looking for a shotgun, something, and, you know, all these things. But she fed them with misinformation. And then when it turned out to be something different. I mean, you know, she got me a shotgun, but she wrapped it up in a Remington razor box. It said Remington on the outside, but that wasn't a shotgun. It looked like a razor. And I was trying to, oh, thank you. I was trying to smile and open it up, and there was all the paperwork with my shotgun. She could be very sneaky, all right? And But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, hey, you know, with all of that, that misinformation, in other words, that, uh, that, how, how, how we look at things and we have a gift. And I mean, you know, I was so surprised when it was an electric razor. And I was so surprised when it wasn't a sleeping bag. It was a green colored down filled jacket that I was going to need. We were living in Alaska at the time. Two things you got to have is a down coat and you got to have a good shotgun. Amen. Got to have those. And it, it just, I was just like, I mean, she put the old shock and awe on me. Amen. You think about it. you think about it over the years now how long we've been saved 
Have you ever wondered to yourself why in the world would he save someone like me? Well, he didn't do it just for us to bottle it up, beloved. He did something for us, did something to us, put someone in us. I didn't mistake him. I didn't... I didn't misspeak there. He put someone in us, the Holy Spirit of God, for us to share our faith. We do not well, beloved, if we keep silent. Paul understood that he was a debtor. I'm not a Calvinist. Not, I don't have one hair on my head that's Calvinistic. You know, if someone didn't come by, if Al, Alan hadn't come by the house and brought the gospel, if Debbie didn't bring it home, I, I might not have ever got saved. Someone had to bring me the gospel. Someone had to. There was indebtedness. And I say, I submit to you, beloved, that you and I are debtors to the people around us. We just, I, I know that you know it. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But sometimes we got to be reminded about these things. But this is what's in the book of Romans. And Paul, was not, not only was he giving us his credentials, but he was telling us about the justification for what he was going to give them. And these great doctrines that were going to be theirs to enjoy as believers. And we've been given some wonderful things. Wonderful things. I mean, did you ever get a really nice toy and it just was more fun when you shared it with your buddy? When you shared it with someone else to enjoy? Now, you didn't want them to take it home. <laughs> all right. But you were happy to share it with them. Yes. Yes, you were. All right. So there was indebtedness. But I want you to see also there was a readiness. Look in verse 15. Notice what he said, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul was not only willing, but also eager to give them the gospel. He had been looking forward. He was forward-minded and disposed to do so. Look back in verse 9. Notice what he says, chapter 1. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of, of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now watch, making requests. In other words, he's asking of the Lord, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. He wanted to see them. He wanted to travel there. He wanted to go to them. We know from the book of Acts that, or even from the book of Corinthians, he wanted to come out of Spain. When he got out of Spain, made this collection, it was his intention to go to Rome that he might impart some gift unto them. Look at verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established, and that they would be comforted together. I want you to go look with me and keep your place there in Romans. Go back one book to the book of Acts and look in Acts 24 with me. Acts chapter 24, please. And look in verse 10. Acts chapter 24. Look in verse 10. Do you know what? Paul enjoyed sharing his testimony. There was a readiness. He had a readiness about his about himself, possessed of himself, if you will, to share what happened to him, if you will, on that day on the road to Damascus. Look in, look at Acts 24. Look with me, please, and look in verse 10. Here he's been arrested. He's brought before Felix. And uh, Felix, who is the governor there at the time, verse 10, then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, now watch, for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, notice what he says, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Yes, he was called before the court. He was called before the governor of the land. 
And yet he said, I am cheerfully here to answer. I'm glad to do this. He saw it not, not as an obstacle, but he saw it as an opportunity for the highest in the land to be able to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he calls and he rehearses what happened to him there as, uh, as he began to speak. Notice what he said. Look at verse 14. He said, but this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And so Paul knew he had this opportunity, and he said, I the more cheerfully answer. I, you know, when, when people get called before the courts of the land, they're not typically smiling. <laughs> And this could have meant Paul's life, but he saw it not as an obstacle, but he saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel. You remember what he said when he wrote the book of Philippians? He said, not only from the prison, but all the way to the palace. What the gospel was being heard, the gospel was being spread. He, he understood fully what his calling was. And he wasn't going to shrink away from the ministry that he had had received. He was content with the ministry that God had called him to. And he was using it. Look in Acts 26. Here he's going to meet before another, another leader. Look in Acts 26. Now he's going to go to King Agrippa. He gets moved on from, from, uh, from Felix and he's going to wind up before King Agrippa. And look with me there. Look, look in Acts 26. Look in verse 2 with me, please. Notice, notice what he says. Well, let's go, let's go back. To verse 1 he says then Agrippa said unto Paul thou art permitted to speak for thyself then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself and look, look, look what he says I think myself what happy <laughs> I think myself happy man I, I mean how do you feel when somebody has somebody ever I mean when the opportunity has just been right there did you well I got something I want to tell you about <sighs> Takes me back. I mean, did you do it with a long face? I mean, that, that you know, when the days when they used to sell encyclopedias, would you have bought something from? And, and we're not salesmen. Listen, I'm not selling insurance. Uh, I'm not selling fire insurance here this morning. But my point is, there ought to be a little joy on the inside. Why the good news? I mean, what makes good news good news? There must be something good about it. And it ought to show up on their face. And he said, "I'm happy to answer." I mean, you wouldn't want, I mean, think about it in the days when they were selling encyclopedias. If I came to your door and said, uh, good morning, uh, my name's Ed and I, I'm here and, I, and you don't want to buy anything from me, do you? <laughs> you're not going to sell anything like that, are you? No, I don't think you're not going to. You had to be, you had to be a little bit convinced about the product that you had. Well, Paul was convinced. He was convinced. And the question is, are you, are you convinced enough that the gospel works to be able to tell somebody else. He said, I'm happy. I count myself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Especially because I know thee being expert in all the customs and questions which are about my name. And remember, do you remember what Agrippa said? Thou hast almost persuaded me. To be a Christian. Paul could see. I mean like you fishermen that are out there. Can you tell when they're nibbling? 
Sure you can. You feel a little, maybe you see it on the line or you see it with your bobber. I don't know if that's how you fish or not, but you can kind of tell when, 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 when the fish are biting, when they're getting on the line. And he could see that, man, Agrippa was getting near. And he said, almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian, to be a Christian. Listen, there was a readiness. There was a readiness. Paul had made requests that he could go to Rome, that he could tell them this. But it just wasn't the right timing. Time doesn't mean very much to God, but timing means everything. So about Paul, there was an indebtedness. He understood that he owed a debt to mankind. That's why I think that's part of the reason why Paul was able, by the grace of God, he said, I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might gain them. He put himself in places where he might gain them. Do you know there was a prayer meeting started by the Moravian Church back in the days of John Huss? You can look this up, but there was a there was a prayer meeting. It started as a it started as a day prayer meeting, and you know how long that prayer meeting? It began to go around the clock. You know how long that prayer meeting lasts? It was a one hundred years. The prayer meeting in the Moravian Church lasted every day, every day, and those people were so touched. They were so touched by the Spirit of God and the burden that you know what some of them did? They sold themselves into slavery. These Moravian people sold themselves into slavery so that they could be in a chain gang with someone who had come from a from another a land a different continent whatever it might have been that they could be chained next to them like how paul was chained to those soldiers so that they could tell them and impart to them the gospel of jesus christ uh beloved i would say that's commitment wouldn't you say amen to sell themselves into slavery it's a fact these are facts that are documented and you can read them for yourself i'm just I'm just calling them to your attention. Now, the Lord hasn't called. I don't know that he's called us to do that. I would say that was an extreme thing. But you know what? I would say those folks had surrendered and had sold out. Do you know who William Borden was? He's the guy his parents had Borden's milk. But you know what? Do you know what William Borden wanted to do most of his adult life as a boy? Do you know what he wanted to do? His driving desire in his life was he wanted to be a missionary. And his parents didn't want him to be a missionary. They wanted him to go to school, take the business, and go on and fulfill his life as the, and run the company of Borden's Milk. And, uh, and William Borden was so insistent on this, you know, that they decided, well, there's just too many influences here at home. Let's send him over to Europe. And so they sent him to Europe. Uh, which turned out to be exactly what he wanted. But when he got over there, he got ill. And William Borden died as a young man from the illness he, he contracted while there in Europe. And he left a little note. And it said, no regrets and no reserve. He lived his life to be a blessing and to tell others about Christ. That's the William Borden of Borden's Milk. Look it up. I challenge you, look it up. The, the internet stuff is for more than games, amen, and social media. There is a world of information out there. Look it up, look up. No regret, no reserve, no reserve. In other words, he gave it all. All he could, he gave it all, including his life. 
that he could have this. So in Paul, there was an indebtedness. In Paul, there was a readiness. Are you ready? Are you ready? If someone were to ask you of the hope, are you ready? Could you tell them about what happened? Could you tell them? And number three, let me give you the last thing. There was also a resoluteness. Look with me in verse 16. Go back with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Look in verse 16. Paul said, So much as is in me, verse 15, is I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There was a resoluteness. He was resolved. I mean, he was resolute in his desire. And he said, notice what he says. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now listen, Paul was a man who had traveled in his regions. He was a highly educated man. He had been exposed to other, other cultures and other places, if you will, during the course of his lifetime. But he understood something about the supremacy of the gospel. And he said, I'm not ashamed of it. He said, in other words, there's nothing wrong with it. Paul wasn't ashamed of the truth and veracity of the truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was the virgin born son of God. That he lived a virtuous life. Tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. And that he suffered a vicarious death. That simply means is that he died taking somebody else's place. He died for others. Even the crowd around him said he could save others, but himself he cannot save. It was vicarious. And then, of course, there was the victorious resurrection. And Paul was a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said when he conferred there, when, it, when the Lord stopped him on the road to Damascus... He said, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. He, he was conferring with the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and so qualified him as an apostle. But he saw the supremacy of the gospel in the person of Christ. Now, again, I'm going to say these are not the uninformed words of some naive traveler, but he was a man well-rounded and versed in cultures, languages, and education. Kind of like what the, you know, in the Old Testament, you had Isaiah there was Isaiah who was used to being in the, in the courts of kings, an educated man. And then you got Amos out there and he said, man, I'm not a prophet, neither the son of a prophet. He was just a sheep herder. Amos was just a farmer, rough and tough and kind of crude sometimes. And there was Isaiah polished. Listen, God has a witness at every level of society. The man in the three-piece suit that works at Wells Fargo or the lady up there that works there in her nice clothing. She needs the gospel just like somebody in these homeless shelters that are here along the river. The gospel is made for everyone. Remember what I said? Paul said he was a nobody telling everybody about somebody who will save anybody. He doesn't care what class. Listen, it's kind of like us here at Ranchero Drive. We don't care where you're from. We want to know where you're going. That's the most important thing. Where are you going to go when you die? We noticed, Debbie noticed somebody pulled in here in the parking lot. They stopped their truck. They got out and they went down to our sign and took a picture. They said, if you die today, do you know where you will spend eternity? I don't know who it was. She was going to go out there and try to talk to them. They pulled away and left. But it got somebody's attention. I don't know. It might be in the Daily Times today. Who knows? There's some nuts on Ranchero Road. I don't know. They might have put that in. We might be nuts, but we're screwed on the right bolt. Amen. <laughs> Paul was resolute in what he believed and he knew that it would help others. Why? He'd seen firsthand what the gospel could do. 
saw it. The world is full of religion. The world is full of rituals and ceremonies and rites and heresies. We live in the times of doctrines of devils seducing spirits. Buddhism, Confucianism, Islam, many of the isms that are out there today, they do not provide hope. They're all works related. And all their founders, their bones are in the grave today. There's only one who got up. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. The centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none under the name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Paul was resolute because of the supremacy of the gospel and its person. He was resolute because of the sufficiency of the gospel and its power. Look in, look in the middle part of verse 16. After the word Christ, it says, For it is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation means deliverance. Salvation means forgiveness. Salvation means being rescued and redeemed. And the gospel has the power to do that. The gospel has the power to change lives. What does 2 Corinthians 5, 17 say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, when it says man, that's mankind. Man, woman, boy, or girl. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Man, I, I got a new nature. I got a new outlook. I mean, I everything was new on the day I got saved. Wasn't it that way? I know it's been a while back for some of you, but you know what? I hope it never loses its strength, that emotional tie to it made all things new the songwriter said it is enough that Jesus died that he died for me it is enough we heard we heard we heard Victoria play Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin and left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow Paul had personally witnessed the life-changing power in his own life as well in the lives of others across Asia Minor and on the European continent. You know, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, that's enough to get the job done. It is. I remember when, I was, when Debbie and I were missionaries, and I was trying to get a building, and that building had been, it used to be a commercial enterprise. It was a, uh, it had been an old florist shop, and it was going to be perfect. We were going to live in the apartment upstairs, and we were going to open the bottom part and use that as a church. Where we were going to be meeting people, but uh, but in the in the times before that thing, as that thing grew as a business, families began to move in, and there was a housing development around there. So they changed it from from uh, from commercial to residential, and uh, they didn't want any sort of commercial enterprise in there. And so, in order for me to be able to lease this building, I had to make an appeal to the city council. Uh, in, the, in the city of Brookhaven, Mississippi. And so I had to go there and meet with the council. And they want to know if we, I was going to open up a church in this residential community. Were we going to be bringing in uh, people from rehabs? And were we going to be doing, uh, are we going to be dispensing medications out of there? And, you know, and I said, hey, listen, the only pill that people need is the gospel. That's what changes lives. It's not found in a little bottle. It's not found in something you drink. It's in a person. It's in a person. And they were happy with it, and they let us have the they let us have the variance to be able to use the building. Amen. 
we had that opportunity. Listen, education, reformation, trying harder will all fail. That's what the Masons teach. You know, you get that little apron. That's their symbol of righteousness. You get to go to the celestial building in the sky and hire them and all these kind of stuff. They have some unusual beliefs. Unusual beliefs. It's not reformation. It's redemption. It's regeneration. That's what changes people. It's not about being good. Listen, you can't be good enough to earn it. You can't be good enough to keep it. So it can't be about those things. Salvation is a gift, beloved. It is a gift of God. Not of works, the Bible says. Lest any man should boast. God is not going to be a debtor to any man. And owe them eternal life. Listen. The gospel has more than enough power to make addicts and drunkards free and sober. It can make crooked men and women straight. Been doing it for a long time. You know, I saw something. I saw something that, uh, you know how when you see something on the internet, you have to be careful about it, particularly on Facebook. It doesn't make it so. But I have some friends who are chaplains. One's on death row and so forth. And... Uh, and they have dealt with some of the people here that have, you know, offended uh, the citizens of the state of Texas. And some of them have gone to death row and some of the things that they have done. But, you know, in that place, in those times, you know, the gospel can work. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, I was sick and you visited me? I was in prison and you came to me and so forth. There's a lot of people that have had notorious past when they got in prison. They got born again. And you say, well, well, they're in prison. They're getting what they deserve. No, no. If, they, if we were all getting what we deserve, we'd be in hell this morning. Amen. With our back broke. But some of, those, some of those folks in there that have been notorious in the newspaper, they've been born again. I read about one, even the son of Sam. Do you remember the son of Sam was going around? There's a picture of him. And I know that pictures and I know... I, 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 it's just holding out some hope for me. I hope that it's so. But he had, looked like he had him a Schofield Bible and he had marked in it quite a bit and he was reading and smiling. I hope it's true. They say that he got born again. I don't know. God in heaven knows. Hey, you know, it's not hard to fool me. Amen. But you know what he's going to fool God. That's the bottom line. Nobody's going to fool him. Listen, beloved. The simplicity. Why was he so resolute? Because of the simplicity of the gospel. Look at verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul was resolute in giving them gospel because of its simplicity, because of its supremacy, because of its sufficiency. What it could do. And what is the simplicity of it? If a man, a woman will humble themselves before the Lord. Romans 10, 17 says, So then whosoever shall call upon the name... Correction, Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm a whosoever will. <laughs> you can put your name in there. You can put your name in there. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, He'll save you. He'll call upon... That is the simplicity. It's not the bunch of uh, hocus pocus and ritual and ceremony. It's just as simple as when a man humbles himself before God. You know, how many of y'all know the song Amazing Grace? You know that song? You know who wrote that song? That was John Newton. Do you know what John Newton was doing when he got saved? He was a slave trader. It's, all, it's, it's marked on his tombstone there somewhere in England. A slave trader for the Lord. And he was on one of those ships and he got saved. 
and he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. The words to it, the tune actually comes out of Africa. That tune can be played on all the black keys on the piano. He didn't write the tune, he wrote the words. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Man, the simplicity of the gospel. Say, could he meet a man on the ship? Yeah, he. I, I know people got saved by side their bed. I know some that have gotten saved at the altar. I know some that have been on the roadside under conviction, couldn't take it anymore and just stopped the car and got out there and prayed and asked God to save them. Some have been in foxholes. Some have been in other places. I'm reading about one right now. I'm reading a called Out of the Depths. It's by a survivor of the USS Indianapolis. If you don't know your history, the USS Indianapolis is the one that carried the gadgets to Tinian, carried Fat Man and, uh, and Little Boy and uh, the, the two atomic weapons that were used to end World War II. And they were on board that ship and they, no one knew about them. It was so secret and they were torpedoed and, and some 900 men went in the water and only about 300 or so came out. And there were other people there in that water. Some of those men got saved. The man that wrote this book, he was a Christian and he was talking to God about all those things that had happened and how the Lord had given him peace and there were others there. It's just the simplicity of the gospel. Man, you know, it's kind of like when he knocks on the door of your heart. Isn't that what Revelation 3 and 9 says? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open unto me, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. He knocks on the door of your heart. It's the simplicity. And who's the scope? What's the scope? Of the gospel. Look at verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone. There is that everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's us. That's us. The people. He knew that everyone was eligible if they understood that they were a sinner. God would not withhold the gift of God. Listen, the songwriter said, we have a story to tell to the nations. We still do. There's nothing wrong with the good news. It's still good news. There's nothing wrong with our message. We still have the message for the ages. What was in Paul? Indebtedness. Readiness and resoluteness. And what was in Paul should be in us, beloved. It should be in us. Now, I don't, I don't walk up to every person I see. Where are you going to spend eternity? Where you, they might try to lock me up. I don't know. <laughs> but I do know this. If I get around someone, rub elbows a little bit, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to give him a track. I'm going to talk to him by the grace of God. Particularly when he nudges me. He doesn't nudge me to talk to everyone that I see on every day. But he does nudge me. I won't stop the man that had gotten him a lottery ticket. He was down there scratching that off in the car, and his car door was open. I came up to him, and I said, Man, I said, you going to try that? He said, Yeah, I'm going to try that out. I said, Well, how about if I tell you about a sure thing? He said, Man, I'd like to hear about that. So I gave him the gospel. He probably thought I was talking about a sure debt some, or, or a sure gambling thing or whatever to make a little money. And all it took was just two seconds just to find out, Hey, let me tell you about a, about a sure thing. And he listened and I gave him a track. I don't know whether or not he got saved that night or maybe down the road. I don't know. 
But beloved, we don't want to fail to sow some seed. There won't be a harvest. We read it this morning in Sunday school, didn't we, men? We talked about that. If you those that view the clouds and those that are mindful of the wind are not going to have a harvest. There'll be nothing to reap. If you're looking for the perfect opportunity, there are no perfect opportunities. If you're waiting for everything to be just right. Nothing is ever just right. <laughs> it wasn't when I heard. It probably wasn't when you heard. But someone brought you the gospel. Boy, let's don't fail at that. Let's have the same what was in Paul, I believe is in us. I just know this, that the spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. If we'll get out of the way, God will do his job. He wants to do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heaven, you come to Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for these listeners today. Thank you, dear God, for what you put in Paul and what you've put in us. And I pray, Father, that the Lord Jesus would not just be prominent, but that He might be preeminent. And that our lives might be arranged around Him and His will for our lives. I know we all haven't been called to pastor. We all haven't been called to be missionaries. We all haven't been called to be evangelists and so forth, but we all have been called to be ambassadors. That's for every one of us. And the ministry of reconciliation, Lord, you've given to us. I pray, Father, we, we get to the judgment seat, and I think that's coming soon. We don't want to regret that we didn't sow more seed. Lord, I pray that you'll have your way in the invitation. Maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't even know you. They've never trusted you. They, they've never trusted the truth of the gospel that Christ died for them. That he was bruised and beaten, taking our punishment. That he was buried, and that he rose victoriously on the third day. Lord, you said in your word that he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Lord, help us not to complicate the thing, but Lord, see its simplicity and believe it and share it and spread it. I pray, Father, you'd have your way in the invitation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.